Hey there, and welcome to the Dynamics Hot Dish Podcast, serving up stories and knowledge on Dynamics 365 and the Power Platform. This is what's hot in Dynamics. You're now joining Merlin Schweiger, Liz McGlennon, and Ashley Steiner. Uh, well, we're here this morning with Matt Fleming, a coworker of mine, in fact, uh, principal solution architect for Power Platform and the CE modules of Dynamics 365 at Boyer and Associates. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me on, Merlin. But of course, and everyone else, I'm not the only one having you on, in fairness. <laughs> um, so what we're going to talk about today is Azure DevOps. And uh, as Liz and Ashley and I have mentioned a number of times uh, in a variety of our podcast episodes, oh yeah, ADO, Azure DevOps, you should use that. It's cool. But we haven't really talked that much about it, what it is, what it does, how it works, what you can do with it. Um, and so we decided that we would bring in an expert today. So Matt, I hope that you're ready for that title of expert in ADO. Um, to talk if not, you now have it. it. Yeah, sweet. Uh, you can add that <clears throat> to your I'll LinkedIn I'll do my best profile. to not disappoint. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so I guess to begin with, how would you describe what Azure DevOps is and what it's good for? It's a big question. Um, <laughs> I would say the way that I've used it in the past, it's really a tool that helps to support agile teams and agile development framework. So uh, hopefully the listeners have some familiarity with what exactly that is. But when you kind of break that down a little bit, it helps us plan our work. Uh, it helps us track the work that we do um, on a daily basis. It can help us control the source code behind some of the customizations and those types of things that we're making in CRM. Um, and then you can kind of go all the way to the end and really do automated deployments in there, which uh, is, is pretty cool. Since uh, if you are an admin or have dealt with solution imports ever, it kind of gets old fast, right? So it's kind of rinse and repeat. That's something that can be easily packaged up and put inside of DevOps to go ahead and take care of kind of those menial tasks for you too, so. I mean, that's pretty sweet. Um, <clears throat> if we start back sort of at the, at the beginning on, it helps you track your work on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, why? So, <laughs> it's come up in a previous episode that I'm a big fan of putting things in OneNote. So why should I use ADO instead of just making a list in OneNote of stuff I should do? Um, I think there's, <laughs> at a high level, it's an easy way to actually tie stuff together. I know that I've got a million different OneNotes and I always end up not knowing where I put stuff in OneNote. So um, it's just a good way to, to be able to track things inside of a system. Um, I mean, it's more nice structured data. Right. Yeah. yeah I was going to say it's more structured. Um, we also, if Merlin gets hit by a bus, you know, there's that whole, that whole uh, discussion or, or you know, thinking lottery, point about that's everything. That's more right? positive than getting hit yeah. by a bus. So Don't for worry, some as reason, I lay there Merlin, bleeding, I'll be texting. Here's where my one note is. <laughs> Grant access. <laughs> Not priority. <laughs> So there's, there, there's that. Um, the other thing I always think about is my future self. I have a terrible memory. Um, so, you know, I think about how, when we do stuff inside of Azure DevOps and we track our work, when we explain what we're doing clearly there, 
uh, the next time that, you know, Ashley or Liz comes as, as the end user that we're helping to support and says, hey, process XYZ is broken or process XYZ needs to change, I can go and look back in DevOps and pretty easily find the area that we, you know, uh, defined as work there and what we did for the solution. So I have so many questions based on what you've said, but so internally at my company, we use Jira. So would you say that's a competitor similar? I mean, are there things about ADO that are different and make it a better tool? I don't have tons of experience on the Jira side. Definite competitor though. Probably the biggest one. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Actually, purpose. I've I've used both, um, and I don't know, like on a detailed level, like if one is better in a certain area than the other, but like essentially they're equivalent from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, the other question I had is like reporting. So Liz, you had mentioned like it's just a data, you know, better way to like keep your data. You mm -hmm. know, what kind of reporting can you pull out of ADO? And I'm probably jumping like super far ahead, but. Yeah, so there is built-in functionality inside of ADO where you can, you know, build some dashboards out, those types of things. If you need to go, you know, to that second level, you can definitely get at the data and put stuff into Power BI to make more complex reports or mash stuff up with, uh, let's say you manage projects in CRM or something like we do here at Boyer. Um, you know, you can kind of manage or marry those two systems up together. Uh, there is a lot that you can do there. Um, one of the biggest implementations that I ever worked on for an end user um, was a company that has 15,000 employees roughly or something like that, multiple hundreds in their development teams. And they got a new CTO while I was there and they actually standardized everything um, into ADO kind of being their work tracking place. And then that same VP kind of standardized the dashboard with, I need to see X, Y, and Z on every team's dashboard so he could walk into any meeting um, and kind of see the things that were important to him on that higher technical level. So I thought that was kind of neat. Teams are obviously free to go and customize stuff and, you know, add to things, but, you know, he wanted to see how many bugs were being created on a weekly basis, how many things were getting resolved on a weekly basis, those types of things. So high level stats, but then they could kind of customize those dashboards to their liking too. So. Have you used it, the reporting from like a burn down chart perspective or like a capacity planning perspective? Um, not so much. We did a lot of like the, the implementations I've used it on. We've kind of operated more in the Azure Kanban type space where it's kind of not so heavily focused on the, the burn down stuff as much as it is on pull the next item out of the backlog and get it done. So. Okay. So we definitely have used it for, I guess, in that case, the the thing that becomes more important, and I think it's important in just the the traditional agile framework too, is uh, kind of your metric that you're tracking there is your velocity. I don't know how many points are you accomplishing in each of your sprints, kind of a thing. So, a lot do of you? <laughs> Go ahead, Liz. I was going to ask, like, so you're referring to story points when you say that. Mm-hmm. So is that how you typically estimate or like, have you had, cause we've just talked about this before in previous yeah. episodes of like, mm -hmm. what are story points and like, what are the other options for estimates? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Right. Yeah. So if you're following the framework, uh, story points is kind of the way to go. Um, what are story points? They're just a level of effort, an estimation of effort that you assign to a body of work when you don't know everything that you need to know about it. 
So generally when you're doing story pointing, you're doing it at a high level. Um, you can do it, you know, there's the concept in inside of agile is of, uh, epics features and, and user stories. You can kind of point at all three of those levels, obviously with an epic, you know, that's a bigger body of work. So it's something that you're going to throw like big numbers at probably only have three or four different numbers that you might even assign to an epic feature. You might, you know, get a little bit more granular and detailed. So that number might be smaller. You might have a few more options to choose from. And then you get kind of all the way down to that user story level. Um, and the teams that I've been on where we've used this, we've used what they call the Fibonacci sequence. So you kind of like one, two, four, one, two, four, eight, 12, and then I think 20. And that's kind of like where you kind of cut things off. So you can't, you can't have things that are too big as you know, the, the size that they're in. So a user story should be under probably 12 points most of the time. And uh, if they're and too large, they should be broken into separate items, right? Either broken into separate items or yeah, moved up into, you know, promoted into a, a higher level item, like a feature in that sure. case or something like that, that then you would come back and break down later. So, um, so that's kind of what, what story points are. Um, one of the, probably, I would say one of the biggest difficulties is kind of everybody at some points wants to try to tie story points and, and dollars back together. Cause that's how our brains work. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really hard to do because really with story pointing, what you're supposed to be doing is meeting and doing backlog refinements. You're supposed to play a game of poker or something like that, where everyone is kind of getting their turn and their opportunity to kind of estimate the work. Right. So you're doing this in a team setting. You've got three or four people doing it, trying to agree on what, what the number is actually going to be. So as you do that, depending on the level of detail that you have on everything, and then the people that are on your team, you're going to kind of get your own velocity, you know? So I, I mentioned that team at that large enterprise client that we had, every one of those teams had a different velocity. Some of them were doing 20 points a week and some of them were doing 130 points a week, but the volume of work that that 20 point team could be doing might actually be more. They might be introducing more features for the products that they support. So it's kind of a tricky thing to, to kind of talk through and talk around, but. Um, how long, like if an organization is trying to do this for the first time, like how, do you have any recommendations of how to get started effectively or like how long it takes to kind of get a handle on it if it's brand new? Yeah, I would say start small. Um, I think that's a big key. So we're, we're in the process of, of starting to use this for all of our internal stuff at Boyer. Um, on the on the CRM side of things. And really right now, we're not <clears throat> necessarily highly focused on even pointing stuff right now because the team doesn't have a, a ton of agile experience and agile development experience. So just start using the system. Don't put pressure on yourself because you're not going to know how, how you want to use it as a team. And that's the big thing. Um, you know, I think that's the first principle of agile is um, people over process, right? So figure out what you as a team need to do and how to use the system what levels of detail you need to get to and don't do too much at first, you know, just get your, get your stuff in there, get focus on trying to understand and agree upon what an Epic actually is, what a feature is and what a user story is. Once you have that agreed upon focus on getting just even titles into there of each of those different things. Once you feel comfortable with that, then start trying to further define those things, I would say. And then as you kind of go through, you can introduce planning and, and those other different, uh, ceremonies inside of agile um 
as you get more familiar and comfortable. I think that's such a great point. I've been on projects before where they like, they assume that like Azure DevOps is used the same way in every project or every organization. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, you know it. And there's no, there's no discussion up front of like, how are we going to use this or how do we define these things? Or like, what does this mean to this team? And it's mm -hmm. not really effective, you know, when you right. don't have a common understanding of like, this is our, how we're going to use it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so I think that's one of those things where like, I, it kind of ties back very closely to consulting with me because a lot of the time, you know, end users that haven't worked with consultants before, they're just, they want to know the answer to a question. And a lot of the times there's not one answer. There's many different answers. Rarely is there more, one answer. <laughs> right. It's more a discussion of, okay, how do we want to get there? You know, what's, what's the best way to do it for your organization? And that's definitely central to uh, successfully using ADO. So. Yeah, that's an interesting point because like I said, my company uses Jira or the, our tech team, I should say, uses Jira for a lot of our, um, what we just call them projects. We don't really do user store. And if we do user stories, it's not like on a global scale. Mm -hmm. um, but I've actually rolled out ADO just for Dynamics and the Power Platform. So any projects that we're going to do on that side will get tracked in there. And I was very overwhelmed, like opening it up, trying to compare it to Jira. So I think that that is a good call out Matt that you said is like start small like define how you're going to use Epix, define how you're going to do this you mm -hmm. know don't like because I was like yeah I want to get into doing pointing and story points and stuff there's no way on yeah. my first two things that I put in there that I would even know because mm -hmm. I want to be able to prove to people like this is the t-shirt size of what this effort takes but I don't really know how to quantify that yet right right yeah and the big thing to remember is it's not just you either right so Agile is very focused on developing in a team-oriented environment. So you might have, you know, as, as a leader in your IT space, in the, in the CRM space, you might have seven different teams, you know, if you're in a big organization or three different teams of people, or maybe you just have, you know, a team of you and a couple different developers. But the big deal there is you're having conversations as a team, you're doing refinement sessions where you're talking about what these particular requirements are. Um, and really shedding light on some things that you in your higher level conversations probably either didn't think about or, you know, you're just getting a different perspective on things. So the team that we implemented at that, that large client was we had a team of five here in the United States that uh, did our participated in our pointing sessions. And I think on a weekly basis, I left that meeting just being so appreciative of the fact that there's so many different viewpoints on how you define something, right? And you realize real quickly too, when you start to do that on that user story type level, that you're probably not as good of a communicator as you think you are. Because I cannot tell you how many times I'm like, okay, bang it out, put in all these requirements into there. And then you get these random, just out of left field questions where it's like, I never even thought about that. But that's a really, really good question that we, we couldn't do the work if we didn't know the answer to it. So what I love is that you think that as at an end user, I have a team to like work on dynamics <laughs> when it's really just me as a leader, but also like I'm the only person that works on dynamics. So I think it's adorable that you guys as consultants and partners think that end users have more than one. Person. Actually, your team can consist of your consultants. Like you I can know, have a hybrid team and be I in ADO together working. I just like to tease you guys because like, it really is just me. <laughs> oh, and most now, right? like but that. the idea is to grow the team, right? Well, so. 
Yeah, because I know more <laughs> one-man shops and, and people switch partners so often these days that like tracking mm-hmm. stuff like this, I think is probably more important than ever. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and if you do it right, it's one of those things where when you're in the consulting space, it's always how much documentation do you do? People don't ever want to pay for documentation. It's a really a big pain in the rear to actually do the documentation because things change. Like I said, I just talked about the whole question out of left field that you don't have the answer to till you maybe start building in the case that you're not actually trying to point this and talk to and refine things. Right. Um, so it's a nice system where you can kind of pull everything out of there. If you do it right, you shouldn't be writing in technical terms a lot of the time in ADO either. Um, maybe on like the task level, you're writing in technical terms, but a lot of the times what you should be doing is describing business process, business functionalities, you know, the user story, the age old template is as a CRM user, I want some piece of functionality so that I can do my job. Right. And if you do things in that way, you know, I, I, so coming from the consulting world, if I've got something in ADO for, for a particular client and they decide they don't want to work with us anymore and they ask for documentation, I can ship them all the stuff. Then here's all the epics features and user stories that we accomplished while we were working with you. So, yeah. So like your point is that you shouldn't need kind of the traditional waterfall type of documentation. If you're using ADO and doing agile effectively, that that is your documentation. Mm -hmm. Which Liz and I have talked about how much we love writing those 40 page word documents. 40 is really short. I think I heard that episode. (laughs) Yeah, that's not my favorite thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I mean, so being here at Boyer over the last year, I've realized that there's a, there's a big difference. And I mean, I've always known this, but there's a big difference between like a, a, a business central ERP type of a implementation and a CRM implementation. CRM is very business driven where a lot of the times ERPs, yes, there's business processes in there, but at the end of the day, you're kind of lining this all up. So it goes out onto a balance sheet and onto those financial documents that have to be right. So you can file your taxes and all that stuff. Right. So I think financial rules don't change from company to company, like the way you conduct business, especially within an industry. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the guts in the middle of like, okay, what happens to a product when it comes into a warehouse and blah, 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 those types of things still change and, and whatnot, but there's a lot less variance there where, you know, working with end users in the, in the CRM space, it's like, it's wide open, you know, it's trying to figure out what the, what the most important things to the business are, what, what the KPIs we're trying to actually understand and track are. Right. And that can change, you know, from one week to the next. Ashley, I'm talking to Ashley about something. She says X, Y, and Z. And then she goes to her boss. And before you know it, boss man says, no, that's not at all what I want. I want you to do this. And this is the most important thing in the world right now. Right. So getting that 50 page document out there does absolutely nothing for us, except for kind of helps us burn some time. <laughs> right. I'd love to see how many pages we get up to by the end of this uh, conversation. I started with 40, Matt went to 50. <laughs> see how high we go. I mean, my favorite part about writing 80 page documents um, is that I think, and, and this is where I like tracking something in a system, whether it's ADO or not, where you can get kind of the change over time. Mm-hmm. So like one of the, one of the things that I've seen, this is in the, in the long, long ago, using a totally different tool that I don't remember what the name of it was. Um, 
the customer would track like feature requests and bugs into you know their system that was similar to ADO. And then you could put all these comments on it, right? So you'd be like, oh, well, we think we're going to solve it this way. And then you can have another comment. It's like, actually, we decided we're going to do it this way. And here's why. And now, six months down the road, when somebody's like, well, why did you build it that way? If you're just looking at your 85-page document, or you're one like, note. or OneNote, and you're like, I don't know. All I wrote down is that this is what it's supposed to do, but right. I don't know why it's doing it that way. And I don't, I like, I remember us talking about doing it a different way, but I don't remember why we didn't do it like that, if you have something in ADO with kind of that conversation on it, then you can say, oh, oh, here's why we did it that way. Here's the context of that decision. Yeah, this, we was, this goes decision. back to that whole future me thing and having right. a bad memory, you know, because everyone deals with a thousand things on a, on a daily basis. So it's like you do run into that thing and you say, okay, we got to make a judgment call here. You make the judgment call and six months later, you don't, you absolutely don't remember why. And you we do that XYZ. all the time with like Dataverse or CRM projects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and I'll say 10 years ago, like I feel like I remembered everything like from all the passwords, everything, but, the, but CRM was also smaller. Do you know what I mean? So You're like, also older like, now. Yeah, you were also younger, actually. No, so I think it's too, I think it's twofold. hundred percent agree. Like if I don't write it down on a sticky note, you guys make fun of me, but I've got even traveling, you guys can tell I'm in a different place. I still have my stickies on my laptop. Um, but like, but I think it's different now because like the, everything is so much bigger than what it used to be. You only had so many options to complete something 10 years ago in CRM 2011. Now today with the whole Dataverse Power Platform, I mean, you have so many different ways to accomplish the goal that like keeping track of why you made that decision will really help you in the long run. Mm -hmm. yeah. Amen. Preach. Yeah. Well, and if, even if it's <laughs> really? not you remembering, it might be like the admin who made those decisions doesn't work there anymore. Like that person made all those decisions and now they're gone. And nobody else in the organization has any clue why they made those choices. So I have, I have and no people move around so much these mm -hmm. days too. And it's usually a one-man shop, right? There's one admin. Right, there's one Ashley. Right. And the partners don't document as well as we would all love them to. So getting everybody into a de Azure DevOps would be is fantastic. I'm sorry, but they don't. I mean, I walk yeah. into companies, the first thing I ask for is documentation from the partners. And they're like, oh, yeah. We have that somewhere. Another yeah. reason why it's not worth spending the money to write it. I was just going to say, <laughs> that's, that's it, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask like kind of a setup question before we get too much more into like the meat of, of ADO. So I know when you're setting up a new ADO project, Matt, you have to pick the template and you can have a custom template as well. Do you have mm -hmm. any sort of, and that affects some of the terminology of the types of work items. So like not every template right. calls a user story, a user story. Like I know there's some other names to it. So I was curious if you had any recommendations or if you have a preference on which template is better or why. Um, I use, so what we're using internally on the CRM side at Boyer is the agile template. I made a custom template out of it just because I wanted to add some fields and those types of things to it. So best practice, don't modify the template at that base level, create a new one and, um, you know, add, add what you need to there is what I would say. As far as the other templates, there are ones that are more, you know, built more for traditional waterfowl type projects. Um, never used them because I'm all about agile. 
So. <laughs> so I know there's, there's an agile and a scrum template. Like, do you know anything about the differences between those two? They, I, by the names of them, it's, I feel like they both would be for agile projects. They are. Yeah. And the, the scrum, I think they call a, um, a user story. I think they call it a, a PBI or a, a product backlog item. So. so there's some tech, uh, some terminology changes, but it's really, I mean, no matter which template that you choose to use, you still have the, the high level core concepts of work items. So epics, features, PBIs, user stories, issues, bugs, testing, feedback, yada, 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 right? A work item is just anything that somebody might work on, right? So you still have uh, those concepts. You still got the concept of you know boards where you can go left to right. You can have the little cards on the board for each of those work items. You move left to right. You still have the code repository behind it. You still have all the deployment options, all that stuff. It's kind of just more, what does your team feel comfortable with as far as terminology goes, you know? And do you want to, do you want to take on that change of trying to get people to use new terminology when you're rolling out a new system, right? So how much change is the right amount? It's true. Um, if we could just discuss those work items briefly. Mm -hmm. um, because this is something that I guess I am presently struggling with on our internal rollout of ADO is what, what's an epic versus a feature versus a user story? Like versus I, a task. versus a, versus a task, which I, I don't even think I've created a task. I'm just creating, create user stories and features and occasionally epics. And I'm always like a little bit unsure. Yeah. Like, is this too detailed? This is not detailed enough. Like, I don't, I don't really know. So I actually have a blog open about this particular topic on my desktop right now. <laughs> a um, blog that you wrote? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, I was going to say, he knew you were going to ask Marilyn. So we can, uh, can, we can share this. You guys have show notes or something like that. We can drop yeah. this into. Yeah, perfect. So uh, we'll drop something in there about it. But epic feature, user story, and task kind of top to bottom as far as granularity goes, right? So to get really technical on it, like what Agile, what Agile would describe an Epic as or ADO would, a high level business initiative that you need to do. So really big, right? You might uh, even have just one Epic per project, right? It's definitely possible. Yeah. So, you know, right so now like we've got a couple projects where we're implementing them, where we have maybe one or two epics. And then we've got another one where we're going to have like 12 because it's bigger, you know? Mm -hmm. sure. So uh, the thing for that 12, like we've got, we're going to have epics for there's three different sales processes that we're implementing a business to business, um, a resale. And then I don't remember what the other one is, but those are all going to kind of be their own separate epics. Um, then those would have features inside of them. So <clears throat> that's more so like a, an actual feature of the system is kind of what we're saying, right? So something inside of D365 or power platform. So inside of those sales processes, it might just be something like opportunity management. It might be, you know, lead the opportunity process, like what that looks like, you know, where you're kind of trying again to use business speak so that you can kind of understand, because that's how we all kind of process everything. I think ultimately is everything is really process driven, right? So um, we know that inside the sales process, the user is going to have to eventually take a lead. It's going to have to be converted over into an opportunity. So then underneath that feature there, you can have the different things that you want to describe. So 
what does it look like maybe when a lead before, what do we have to do before a lead closes? So maybe there's some KPI on lead source or something like that. So an opportunity, <clears throat> so that you can understand kind of where an opportunity comes from, those types of things, right? So uh, on that user story level, it's more informal and kind of natural language description of that. So as a CRM user, I want to be able to understand the lead source so that I can tie that back together when an opportunity closes or something like that. So that, that makes sense. Frog in the throat. Uh, last, we have tasks. On most of the implementations I've ever done, tasks are kind of a free for all. <clears throat> Excuse me, where kind of the technical work is documented. So a lot of the time, invariably, what I end up doing is saying, okay, developer people, put in your tasks as you want to define them for this user story. So everything else kind of up to that task point, ideally, when you're functioning in a team, everyone gets to review it and see it and ask questions about it, those types of things. On that task level, it could be something as simple as just like, okay, so we have user story for tracking the lead source. Now we have a task that says create the lead source or update the option set inside a CRM. So blah, blah, blah happens. So. so I wanted to ask about tasks because I've been, I've worked at two different places or on two different projects where they've tried to like templatize the tasks. So like the first one was like table centric or entity centric. And it was like, these are the tables we need to build or like out of the box ones. And then it was like use yeah. form security um, and like kind of all the things you have to think about from a, an entity or table perspective. And then the mm -hmm. other waves tried to, I've seen it try to be standardized. And I think there's issues kind of with both approaches um, is like, okay, so we have to design, develop, test, which obviously isn't relevant yeah. for every user story Not either. Um, so mm -hmm. what are your, like, you just think it's better to leave it up to the person building? I, I really think let your team decide. If you want to have some templates in there so that they can easily go and add them, they're easy to make. And so I would say, make it easy on your team to do that. I've seen both of those things. The entity level stuff does not work. Um, well, not we everything's entity a, specific. Right. We yeah. did that at our, at my previous employer. We did a cloud migration and that's how we did things. Cause we had a team that was very inexperienced on the whole agile and ADO thing. We're humming along through the process. And then at some point there, when you've got like opportunity management as a user story, everything just blows up because you can't find anything anymore. You're not talking in terms that anyone understands things overlap so much that you have to kind of describe the process. Um, one of the things that blog that I mentioned talks about too, is like when you're doing this, do a process flow document. So like do a visio of the whole process and make sure that everything in that process flow is either a user story or maybe a feature if it's super complex. So I thought that was kind of a good recommendation. I love visio. I think I've said that before. I would live in it all day if I could. It's funny. I, I used Visio like on the fly with somebody who was developing some other platform a couple of weeks ago. And he was like, oh, people still use Visio? I was like, all of a sudden I felt like a boomer because I'm pulling out my Visio because it's not like, <laughs> I don't know, some cool cloud like workflow platform. We're just Microsoft centric. Visio is a great so. tool. Yeah. Because yeah, my company, I, I they, use, so. they use Miro. So like they just throw some yeah. stickies and some arrows. And I'm like, no, I need my little shapes to know what I'm 
doing on that. You actually stuff. use the shapes for what they're meant to be used. Not for. what they're meant I to do. be. Okay. <laughs> well, so I would say like sometimes, but then I, I also do. define like for me what they should be. So I think we're nerd. having like, Matt have... come back and talk about <laughs> being an expert in Vizio then. <laughs> I'm, I'm a nerd. I have like, I have the power platform stencils inside my Vizio. So Love it. like literally drop in the little flow arrow, the Dataverse green whirly thing, whatever that thing is supposed to be. <clears throat> so yeah any I love last the icons. any last questions for matt anything else you guys wanted to ask about abo before we wrap up i think we should talk about like um automated deployment or like testing some more kind of like the end of the process mm -hmm. so i think we've spent a lot of time on kind of like what i would consider the front end of like getting started with abo yeah yep again start small like on the testing side of things that's one of the the big big things you can't eat a whole elephant you know in one bite kind of thing so take that same approach to testing uh that's what i think any successful testing team does is come in identify what the most important tests are and then figure out how to kind of uh figure out how to do those in an automated fashion right so um i kind of jumped into the deep end there um automated testing you know obviously ideas or concepts around it you have a coder that writes something that can go and open up a Chrome browser, open up an edge browser and test out functionality X, Y's functionalities, X, Y, and Z there. Right. So and what that sorts kind of, of things do you think should be included in automated testing? Most uh, critical business processes. So it's, a, it's kind of crazy to do it, but like in most organizations, if you're doing, you know, lead to cash, something like closing an opportunity out. Right. So and you kind of what you're doing there is like, okay, go into the system, generate said opportunity, or maybe create the lead, then do the opportunity, put some fields into the opportunity, add the products or whatever, close the thing, test that your intended result is actually there. So, but again, start small, don't test everything. Don't try to fill out a full opportunity, only fill out the required fields. You know, maybe you've got some JavaScript in there that you expect to behave in a certain way to transform something. When you do save an opportunity record or something like that, if that's a key piece of functionality, test that out, you know, so it's really just the high level core stuff. And then after you do that, then you can start, you know, getting a little fancier with, with the kind of testing and those types of things that you, you can do. Um, I'm interested to see what happens here in the next, in the near future with like, you know, there's this big Microsoft push for low code, no code. That really hasn't happened so much on the testing side of things. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there to see if there's, because it's a very development driven process, very dev heavy. Like I consider myself an okay coder and I look at test scripts and I want to die. <laughs> so there's just a lot going on there. Well, I think that's funny because I consider Microsoft's like low code option to like not be low code. Like they consider flow or power flow is no cliffs. It's not low code. Oh, okay. no cliffs. I, was gonna... I hate power automate. You guys all know that. Mm -hmm. We're working on that. We're working on that. Yeah. <laughs> Turn into an advocate someday. So, uh, what about what about deployment pipelines? Like moving yeah. stuff between environments. And right. at what point does that actually make sense to do? Like, I don't know. When is it worth the effort of setting it up? Uh, that's a good question. And, and those, that's where kind of those automated tests kind of become part of those 
like the whole reason for them is to put them into a deployment pipeline so that you can kind of have your deployment strategy. You've got a UAT environment where you push your managed solutions up to, then you're running your automated testing against that environment. And let's figure out, hey, if process X, Y, or Z is broken, we fail this thing and we don't actually deploy stuff, right? So I think kind of explaining that defines or highlights one of the benefits, right? Um, if you've got user or automated testing built in, you can prevent bad things from going into production, right? That's a big benefit there. You know, and by bad, obviously you're not going to catch every bug, but again, the most important things to you, you can keep those processes up and running. Uh, as far as, I mean, there, it is a little bit involved, probably if you've never done it before, it'd probably take you to do a basic pipeline in there, better part of a day to do, I would think. But again, thinking about future you, if you're pushing a solution 15 times a week, you can literally <clears throat> automate the whole process of open up the make portal, go to the solution, export the solution, check the solution into code contr uh, source control, um, import the solution into the, your UAT environment, make any configuration and setting changes that you need to make there test out the AATs, now deploy to production. You can kind of automatize that whole thing. So it doesn't sound like it's that complicated when you, you know, because you're doing that stuff on a daily basis. But if you think about the time that you spend, Ashley, or, you know, I, as a consultant, I think about the time that I spend doing that stuff on a weekly basis, even it's a couple hours a week, which is big, hundred hours a year. That's, you know, so if you can knock something out in eight hours, that's, not a bad return on investment, right? Mm -hmm. It's a good point. It's a good point. Um, so just looking in time, Matt, is there anything like just last that you think that we should know about ADO? Anything you want to like get on your soapbox for? No, I just, I guess what I would say is I would just call out the fact that if you want to use the software, start small, get comfortable with it. You're not going to be an expert in the first week. You're not going to be an expert in the first year, probably. You're probably never going to be an expert. And it's all about, you know, just collaborating with a team and figuring out what works with you and your team to do it. So just don't forget that. Keep that in mind. That's good advice. Yeah, it is. Thanks, Matt. Again, we for... have to ask our oh. final oh, yeah. guest speaker. Oh, yeah, question. you're right. Yeah. Oh, gosh, we haven't had a guest in so long. I know. I was like, we're not done. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what's your favorite hot dish? God. Oh, and we don't have to explain to Matt what a hot dish is. He's a Midwesterner. So just for everyone who's maybe listening for the first time. So one of my favorite, you guys are going to think this is gross. I have a feeling, but uh, one of my favorites is a Reuben hot dish, like the sandwich. It is so, so not as bad as uh, Liz's White Castle hot dish. So I think we're good. True. True. <laughs> White Castle Still, hot dish has got to be good. I've had the White Castle stuffing. That's good. So I've never actually. That's a whole other topic. My mother is my mother in law's. <laughs> <laughs> One time. So describe this Reuben hot dish, Matt. So yeah. it's uh, it's rye bread, um, corned beef hash or not corned beef hash, corned beef like sliced or shredded or whatever corned beef, sauerkraut, and then you make kind of like a slurry with eggs and. Um, what else is it? it's like eggs and mustard maybe and pickles and stuff and you know, kind of mix that all up together and you toss it in the oven 
it's like the the bread kind of sandwiches the top and the bottom toss it in the oven and i don't know it just comes it's really good i mean there's it no could thousand be good or it, it could be gross <laughs> merlin you're laughing at me but it's really really good next yeah, time we go into the it. office i'll uh, i'll prep it beforehand right. and you can eat some so i could imagine it being good. you don't like sauerkraut Mm-mm. I, know. I can imagine Where's the German good, in you? But... My, I was gonna say my German ancestors are like rolling over in their graves right now. Mm. <laughs> you should try it again. You know they say your taste change every four years. Yeah, so you know there's some things like I don't need to try again. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, All thanks right. Matt for joining us, and uh, it was a good topic. And looking forward to having you on again to talk about Vizio. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you for listening to the Dynamics Hot Dish Podcast. For additional content and previous episodes, check out our website at dynamicshotdish.com, follow us on Twitter at Dynamics Hot Dish, and subscribe to our podcast for notifications. Thanks. See you next time.